Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. So there's one thing about Christianity that if, you've not, if you're not a Christian, if you're kind of new to Christianity, uh, one thing about Christianity you hear a lot, and that's this. Uh, it's all about love, man, right? Have you heard this before? It's all about love. In Christianity, people will say, uh, you know, if, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to love people. Have you ever had anybody use love as a weapon against you, right? If you're a Christian, you're supposed to love people. Uh, we hear people quote the Apostle John quite often where our, he says, um, God is love. And so we say, hey, God is love. We're supposed to only be about love. And, I, and all this is accurate. Everything I'm saying is accurate. Love is the defining characteristic, the defining ethic of Christianity. It is the thing. The problem is, here's the the issue, is our understanding of love and the biblical understanding or definition of love. These two things are oftentimes very different things. The way I view love, the way I think love should work, the way, the way you know, love seems to be reasonable to me compared to how the scriptures talk about love, how God talks about love, how love is defined. It, they're oftentimes very different things. So in our culture right now, love means, in our culture right now, love means to affirm people to be and do whatever it is they want to be and do as long as they're not hurting someone else. Right? That's kind of the definition of love in our culture right now. To affirm people to be and do whatever it is they want to do as long as they're not hurting someone else. So if you love me, I should be able to make whatever choice I want, and because you love me, you'll leave me alone. All right? That's kind of the, the prevailing definition of love in our culture right now. So uh, if you're a believer, um, it's a little different than that. And we're going to talk about that today. But if you're not a believer in Jesus and you don't follow Jesus, listen to me carefully. If you don't follow Jesus, you're listening, you ran across this podcast, ran across this YouTube video, you're in the room and you're like, I don't know why I'm even here. Some guy made me come. And you're not a believer in Jesus. Listen to me carefully. Love can mean whatever it is you want it to mean. If you don't follow Jesus, if you don't believe there's a God, if you don't think there's any objective reality or objective truth, then it it doesn't matter what you call it. doesn't matter what you define love as. In other words, love is a completely unscientific thing. You can define it any way you want to. Because without God and His revealed Scripture, love is undefinable. It can mean one thing to you, and one thing to you, and one thing to you. So if you're not a believer, chalk up love to whatever definition you want. It's fine. But if you sit here today or you're listening today and you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you you claim the name of Jesus, then love has a defined defined definition. It it has clear parameters. Uh, It is expressed and explained in Scripture. It is revealed in the person of God. John was right when he said in his letter, God is love. So, In God, we find the definition of love. In the Scriptures, we find the revelation of God. Does that make sense? So if you're a follower of Jesus, so claim the name of Jesus, then love for you has a definition. It has an objective meaning. 
And here's, here's, here's just a simple, a simple thing. Love is first this. God loved you. God loves you. Secondly, you love God. That's super simple, right? God loves me. I love God. Let's, let's, can we say that? God loves me. I love God. One, two, three. God loves me. I love God. This is simple. See, 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. Now, loving God, that's an interesting thing, right? Loving God, and, and Jesus said this when He was on earth, means we love Him above everything else. He's priority. It means we love Him more than we love our family. We love Him more than we love uh, our spouse. We love them more than we love. We love Him more than we love ourselves. We love Him more than we love our pleasure. We love Him more than we love our desires. We love Him more than we love our security. We love Him more than we love our safety. We love Him more than we love our material owner things we own. We love Him more than uh, health. We love them. More, we love Him more than hope of a future. We love Him above all things. Completely and totally. Now, here's the thing. If you loved God at that level, like above all things, more than anything else, like you know, way down here was second place, if God was priority and primary the thing you love the most, how would that affect your life? How would that change the way you live? How would that impact what you do? So let's, let's just start today by listening to the first couple verses of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, thinking about, if God is, uh, God loves me, and I love God above everything else. Keep that in mind. Let's read this. This is what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 say. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children. Do you hear that? Who's loved? You're loved. You are the dearly loved children. As dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love. So you are dearly loved. And then verse 2 says, you are being asked to walk in the way of love. And now we're going to get some definition of love from the Scriptures. Just as Christ loved us, okay, what did He do because He loved us? And gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, do you see this right here? Paul says, that first of all, you are a dearly loved child. So if you're sitting here today, even if you're not a believer in Jesus and you don't buy into this whole God thing, you can be a total atheist right here. You don't even care about this God thing. You know what? God still loves you. God's still passionate about you. He still gave his son for you. God loves you. And if you're a believer in Jesus and you follow Jesus, then you've experienced that love. You are dearly loved. You're a dearly loved child of God. So that's the first thing. And Paul says, well, be listen, you're, you're dearly loved. And, and God is the one who loves you, so follow His example. Well, what does that mean? Well, we love Him back. We love Him back. So God loved me. I follow His example. I love Him back. Am I making sense? Well, what does love look like? And then He says, walk in the way of love. So walk in the way of love. And then He describes what Jesus did as He was walking in the way of love. So Paul says, hey... Stephen, I want you to walk in the way of love, and I want you to look to Jesus who walked in the way of love to see what that means. Well, what did Jesus do when he was walking in the way of love? What did he do? He gave himself up 
as a sacrifice, a fragrant offering to the Lord. Now follow me. Love God means we give ourselves up to God. Pretty simple, right? This, this is not rocket scientist. It's just not. It's not super complicated. We make it complicated, let's be honest, because we don't want to do it. <laughs> we, we, want to like, we want to like love God, and that means I go to church 2.6 times a month, Jesus, and that's a lot, bro. He never stops talking. <laughs> like, we want to make love mean what we want it to mean, and even when it comes to loving God. But Scripture doesn't give us this room, right? God, Jesus offered Himself as an offering uh, to God as a sacrifice. as That was His walking in love. And then the Scriptures say, we walk in love by offering ourselves to God as a, a sacrifice. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you have been asked by God to love Him because He loved you first. And to walk in love. And we do that, like Jesus did, by offering Him our lives as a sacrifice. Maybe you've heard of this passage of Scripture before in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Possibly you've read this. Possibly you've heard a sermon or two on it. Paul wrote in Romans, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in view of God's love, His gift, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, if you've heard this whole thing about Christianity, oh, the main thing about Christianity is love. The highest Christian ethic is love. The biggest, uh, most important characteristic in Christianity is love. That is true, but it's not love like the world loves. It's not love like the world means love. Love in the Christian worldview is self-limiting. Can I say that again? Love in the Christian worldview is self-limiting, is self-denying. Love in the, in the worldview is self-expressing and self-demanding and look at self and what self can do and be do. And you should respect the self because the self matters above all things. That is the current understanding of love. Let the self be in charge of the self. And that's okay. Again, I'm not railing against the world's definition of love. It can be whatever it wants to be. It doesn't matter. It's like justice. Without God, there's really no definition of justice either. Love, from a biblical worldview, is not self-expressing and self, let me show you how important myself is. Love is self-limiting. It's sacrificial. Because we love God, follow me, because we love God, we are more interested in pleasing Him than we are in pleasing ourselves. Oh man, that's good, right? That might make it into our Instagram video this week. Because we love God. Remember, love is God loved me, and I love God. And I love Him above all things. And because I love God higher than I love anything else, I am more interested, you are more interested, we are more interested in pleasing Him than we are with pleasing ourselves or having our own self-expression or our own pleasure, our own desires. What matters more to us than anything is that God would be pleased. 
So keeping that in mind, that Paul calls believers to walk in the way of love, meaning to sacrifice their lives to God, and to make Him first above all things. Listen to verses 3 through 7. With the understanding that love of God, because we love God, well, first because God loves us, because God loves us, and then we love Him, we are driven to sacrifice our own desires to please Him. Keep that in mind as I read this to you, verses 3 through 7. But among you, Christians, believers, there in Ephesus, here at Islands, but among you, there must not even, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Anybody uncomfortable? Hold on, they'll get there. A hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Why are they improper for God's holy people? Well, because God's holy people have been set aside to love Him and to sacrifice their lives for Him, not to pursue their own pleasures. This is why they're improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So stop being rude to each other and express gratitude for each other. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, we do not be partners with them. Now, here's the thing. There's so much in this section of Scripture to unpack I could never do it justice. I could preach an eight-week series on these verses right here, okay? We don't have time to look at the details. So I, I want to focus on um, this idea. Uh, this idea in the scripture, in this section we just read, when you read this section, it has, if you notice, he touches on a lot of things that are bad, right? If you read this, you could, I mean, all of us at somewhere in that passage, did anybody kind of feel bad at some point? Right? Exactly right. As you're reading through there, you're like, oh man, I don't know if I'm doing really good. And maybe, maybe I hope they do an invitation today because I want to get saved again because I'm not sure it's stuck. Like, like, you, like you read this and, and everybody at some moment feels bad. Uh, but if you remember last week, I made this little comment and I just was off the cuff. I just said it in my message. I didn't write it. It was like afterwards I thought, that was really good, man. Holy Spirit gave me that. I totally did not think of this. I was reading through another very difficult passage last week in the message and I said, uh, you know, the, the, the life that we're capable of living, that you're capable of living, uh, that it's, it's, it's a beautiful life. It's a holy life. It's a righteous life. It's a life full of good and, and godly things. And, and, and that's possible for every single person here through the love of Jesus. Right? It's possible. And I kind of try to make this point that you too can, can live an amazing, righteous, holy, unbelievable life. Like You actually can acquire that and achieve that. That can happen for you. But it happens through... Surrendering to Jesus. It happens through loving God above all things. And so when you read this passage of Scripture, what you realize is that these things uh, show up in our lives not because we're bad people, not because we do bad things, not because we just have a, an insatiable appetite for sexual, sexual immorality. That's not why these things show up in our lives. The reason these things show up in our lives that Paul talks about here is because we love them more than we love God. It's just really simple. It's just super simple. It means that so that 
that if I am, if I'm eat up with greed or eat up with sexual immorality, or if I'm rude and crude and I'm just, and I'm just, I'm just, a, and one of these people like Paul's describing in this passage, it just means that I don't love God above everything else. So think about it this way. Um, this is how it works out in my life. I am my rudest and meanest to my family and to people who are close to me when I'm anxious and worried about something not working out the way I want it to. Anybody else? Confession hour right here. So, um, so like, so when I've got something on my mind and I want it to be a certain way, and it could be anything. It could be something serious, like one of my girl's health. You know, it could be something that's a big deal. Not something like, oh, I, I hope I can get a new truck. But that could be your thing, right? It could be, I hope this loan works out to get my truck. That's a big deal if that's your thing. I'm not belittling that. Whatever it is that, that you're obsessed with and you want it to work out a certain way, and as you're trying to, you guys know what I'm talking about, you're trying to move the chess pieces around, even, even if in your head, to get things to work out the way you want them to, and then you're coming up against one frustration after another, and it's not coming together the way you want it to come together. Am I talking to just myself or is anybody else in here? Okay. All right. So, and then that frustration level is climbing. It's climbing. And why is the frustration level climbing? Is it because, you're, is it because you know, there's really things in your way from living a good and, 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 love, and, and loving life? Or is it because things are in your way of living the life you want to live? Do you see the difference? Right? Like, right, we, we want to live this life. We, we have a picture of our future. And, and we're smart, we're wise, and listen, if we're honest, we're wiser than God. Now, we won't admit that. But, but if he would let us, I tell him all the time, if you'd let me have control for just like two hours, I can solve so many problems. If he would, so, so my frustration isn't because I'm experiencing blocks and things in the way of me of living a holy and righteous life. My frustration is because I'm experiencing blocks and things in the way of me getting what I want. Why do I want those things? Because I love them more than I love God. And so then this is, this is really hyper-personal for me, so just hold on. Um, I have to constantly repent of gripping my children too tightly. Anybody else? I'm just like this right here with them. Paul calls this idolatry. To love anything, including my four amazing children, more than I love my Father in heaven, is idol worship. This is what idolatry is. It's making something that is good ultimate, instead of the thing that is actually ultimate, ultimate. Does this make sense? And so when you read these passages like we just read, and we think, oh man, this lifestyle sounds... Um, like me in some places, like it's important for us to be honest and to say, the reason these things are showing up in my life is not because I'm just a bad person who can't choose good things. It's because I've made something a higher value than God. Whether that is sexual uh, connect, you know, immorality or sexual connection, whether that is uh, materialism or whether that is popularity or wealth or whatever it is, I've made something a higher value than God, my highest priority, and that is now wreaking destruction, wrecking destruction in my life. 
In other words, when we love ourselves more than we love God, we are idol worshipers and we are frustrated and miserable because our idols never meet our needs. Only God can meet our needs. Idolatry is simply putting something ahead of God that we love more, that we serve more, that we desire more than we do Him. And let's be honest, all of us are idolaters at certain times in our lives. Let's get real more honest than that. We're all idolaters at certain times of the day. (laughs) Anybody want to just be like, yeah, that's true. There are certain times of the day where I'm sold out for Jesus. I'm like, yes, I love him more than everything else. And there are other times where I'm just like, I told you this a couple weeks ago, Jesus, could I get a five-minute break from you? I want to desire something else more than you. But here's the difference between believers and non-believers. Believers in Jesus recognize this pattern in their lives. And they go, hey, wait a minute. Right now, the reason I'm experiencing this frustration, the reason I'm lashing out at my loved ones, the reason that I'm dealing with you know, maybe some anxiety or maybe some depression, I'm not saying all anxiety and all depressions in this category. I'm just saying some of it, okay? Some of it. Maybe uh, the reason I've got all this going on inside of me is because I've uh, started to make something that's not God, that's not ultimate, become my God and become ultimate. And it's, it's, it's so sneaky. It's so sneaky. It could be something like your children. And no one would ever accuse me of being an idol worshiper. They would accuse me of being an amazing father. But when I pray... And I begin to see the species of pride and frustration and like just in general kind of depression and despondency showing up in my life. I have to stop and say, well, why are these things showing up in my life? Uh, Because if if God is my ultimate being that I love more than anything else and I'm making my life about him, then these things, uh, I should trust him totally and completely. I should be completely in his hands and be at peace and be confident that he has my life uh, planned out. He has my life uh, laid out before me and he's planned every one of my days, every one of my steps, and I can trust him and that he's done the same thing for my children. So if I'm experiencing anger and frustration and despondency and, and all these other things, then maybe possibly I'm not making God the ultimate thing right now. So then my prayer time, I have to listen and look for those little sneaky ways that idolatry slips into my heart. It could be your job. It could be your ministry. Anything. It could be your spouse. Your teenager, it could be your truck. Believers are always asking that question. They're repenting. The word's repentance. We're always changing our mind. And we're saying, hey, wait a minute. I'm not making God the most important thing right now. I'm not loving Him above all things. I'm loving something else more than Him. And I'll just tell you this. If you struggle with sin, like sexual immorality, let's just call, let's call it what it is for a lot of people in the room. If you... If you deal with pornography, because that's sexual immorality, and that battle's plaguing you, it's real easy just to begin to think you're a failure, you're never going to be a good person, you're never going to be like God wants you to be, and just kind of fall into despondency. Instead, whatever it is you're struggling with or dealing with, 
if you would just simply say, hey, that's not who I am. That's not what I love most. And that's not who I want to be. That's the, that's the beginning of winning those battles. is taking God and putting Him at the very top of your life and making Him your ultimate treasure. And what God knows is that until you make Him your ultimate treasure, you will never find your greatest satisfaction. As long as something else is your ultimate treasure, you will always be dissatisfied. So if you're not a believer, you're unsure what you think about God, you're an atheist, let me tell you something. You are chasing down treasure. You're trying to find the thing that makes you satisfied, that makes you happy, that makes you feel like you've got life by the horns and you're doing well. Until that thing is Jesus Christ, your Savior, you will never find satisfaction. So Paul calls believers to be loved by God, to be dearly loved children, and then to love God. And specifically, that means to sacrifice our lives to God, to offer Him our lives, to make Him first, to serve Him above all things, to give Him our lives. But walking in love, you need to know, leads you to a brand new identity, a new you, if you will, a a version of you that, that you didn't think was possible. Listen to verses 8 through 14. But you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. If you had a daughter right now that was of dating age, you know, 31. Would you be asking Jesus daily? And if you had a son, dating age, same thing. Um, Would you be asking Jesus daily for a, a husband for your daughter or a wife for your son that consisted of all goodness, righteousness, and truth? Wouldn't you want that for them? It's Yeah, it's an easy thing, right? Verse 10. Verse 10 says, And find out what pleases the Lord. So I want to just read those verses again, 8, 9, and 10. Ready? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But... Everything exposed by light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, I want you to go back to verse 8. I want you to notice something in verse 8. Verse 8 says, very interestingly to me, that you were once darkness. Not you were once in darkness. Not you were walked once in darkness. It says, the Bible flat out calls us before we, became, before we came to know Christ, darkness. I, I didn't write it. The Bible wrote it. Paul wrote it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You were once darkness. That's really bad news. But look at the good news. But now you are light in the Lord. 
Now you are light. So this is the change when you make God your ultimate thing and you love God above all things. This is the change that takes place. You become a person who is, who's gone from darkness into light. Paul explains that, hey, we were once far away from God. Remember this in chapter 2 of Ephesians? We were once far away from God and that God brought us near. Remember the whole conversation in Ephesians that God brought us from being strangers into members of his family, to being foreigners, to citizens of his kingdom. Are you seeing that there's a pattern here in the book of Ephesians that you get a new identity? You can discover who you are through Christ. You become a a citizen of his kingdom, a member of his family, and now you become light. I mean, what? listen, if you're not a Christian, what better deal can you get than this? You become light. We, when we come to Christ, we are made into light, a brand new humanity. A community that Paul says is one of light. So he says, God has made you light. He's taken you from being darkness to being light. Now, that's who you are. You are light. You are not darkness. And so now, I want you to live as a child of the light. I want you to to live as children of the light. So you're dearly loved children, beginning of this passage. Now you're a child of the light. So I want you to live out this identity. You're loved by me, God says, and you are made into light. As you come to believe this, that this is your identity, that this is who you are, that you are dearly loved by God, and that you are light and not darkness, when darkness comes attacking you, and it does come attack you, sexual immorality, greed, whatever your thing is. It comes attacking you. This is the moment where you say to that darkness, no, light drives out, anybody know? Light drives out darkness. So darkness can't come to me. I can only forget that I'm light, turn my light off, and step into the darkness. So if I am living out my identity, if I'm living out who I am in Christ, if I'm taking it uh, for what it says, if I'm taking this for reality and truth, and I am saying, I will live as a child of the light, I will seek and love God above all things. When the darkness comes, light always repels darkness. Always, it does. This is the victory that's yours. And so, now listen, listen, I battle with sin just like all of you. Like, I'm not perfect up here. We all, we're all in our fight, man. The point is not that we're perfect. The point, is that, the point isn't even that we got to figure out how to get perfect. The point is, is that we have to every day figure out a way to step into who we actually are more and more, step into our, our identity as someone who's loved by God, who's been taken from darkness into light. And there are some days we just stink. There are some days we just flip our light off, we run into the darkness, and we just get the darkness all over us. But the good news is is that that doesn't change who you are. God doesn't say, well, if you prefer darkness, then too bad. God says, no, come back to the light. Hey, flip your light. Just repent of that. Just turn that off. You can have a life that you've never imagined. There's an identity for you that I want you to have. You are loved. You are so treasured. You are so precious. I'm telling you, friend, please hear me. You are more loved than you could ever imagine. Every single hair on your head is numbered by the Father. You, if you are in Christ, will live forever in His joy because He wanted you and loves you and He's going to have you for all eternity. Not because it's like He's just hung up and won a lot of humans. It's because He likes you, the individual you, and He never wants to have a moment of eternity without you if you'll receive that gift. That's who you are. 
That's who you are. Look at verse 10 again. As you come to believe who you are in Christ, as you come to believe this, like if you just walk away today moving the needle this far, like click, okay, I'm going to actually believe that God loves me. I'm going to actually believe that I'm light. I'm going to actually, you move it this far. What verse 10 says is that what happens is inside of you, you start pursuing and seeking out what pleases the Lord. Does that make sense? You start trying to find what pleases the Lord. And as you learn what pleases Him, then you realize that, wow, I fit pretty good in this lifestyle that also pleases the Lord. Because check this out, when you were made from darkness into light, you were actually made to live a certain way. And when you begin to live those ways, you know, loving people and serving people and sacrificing for people and uh, honoring God with your life and your choices, when you actually start doing that, it's going to feel natural to you because you were actually made to live that way by the Holy Spirit. And so you're going to begin to pursue what pleases the Lord. And you're going to begin to abandon uh, the choices and the lifestyle that you know are fruitless. And not only are you going to abandon them, what the text says that we just read is that you're going to expose them. Have you ever noticed that sometimes Christians can just be pushy? You guys ever notice this? Like they'll, 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 they'll get saved and they'll, they'll discover, and all of a sudden like they don't care about having, you know, as much as they used to care about having money and they don't care about you know this, they don't care about all the things they used to care about. Now all of a sudden all they care about is pleasing God and, and serving God. Have you guys ever known anybody that is converted like that? Like it's a total 180? And then they can't stop telling you about it. They're like, man, you got to stop wasting your life thinking money's the answer. You got to stop wasting your life thinking pleasures. You got to stop, you got to stop wasting your life uh, going after happiness. Happiness is not the definition of life. You, you've ever known anybody like this that's just always preaching about that junk? Do you know why? It's because this text says. Not only should we not engage with the dark things, we should expose the dark things. And what that simply means is that we should tell the truth. If you're a believer in Christ, we should tell the truth. When we see a friend who believes that if they can find the right spouse and they've left their third spouse for their fourth, if they can find their right one, they'll be happy. We should tell that friend. You're wasting your life looking for happiness in an object that was meant to be loved by God and by you, a person. They weren't, they weren't given. You know, you guys know that your spouse wasn't given to you to make you happy, right? I just want to mention that real quick. That's a side, that's free. That's on the side here. It's in the margin. You, you can find yourself miserable and divorced in a hurry if you look to your spouse to make you happy. happy happiness is always a fool's errand. Holiness now. So the reason Paul tells us to expose the dark deeds is he's not telling Christians to go out and tell people, hey, what you're doing is bad, and what you're doing is bad, and you better stop. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, hey, man, when you see somebody wasting their lives on the darkness and you're in the light, invite them over to stop wasting their lives. That just, that just means to expose, expose to them that they need to wake up. They need to wake up from their sleep and need to receive Christ as the source of light who can change them and alter their lives. And then they too can become a person who more and more wants to do what pleases God. Yeah. I know, we're all sitting here going, man, I don't know that I really want to do what pleases God. I get that. But this is the life you were called to live. A life that desires what pleases God and then goes after it. So I'm trying to cover all 20 verses. 
of chapter 5 today. Because if we don't, we'll be preaching on Ephesians come Christmas. Okay? So you got to let me. you just got to let me. Because I, I want to do something else in the fall. And right now, at the pace we're going... Um, so let's just let's look real quick at verses 15 through 20, and then we'll wrap this thing up in about five minutes. Uh, verses 15 through 20 says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We all need a little help figuring out how to live a life that pleases the Lord. Because there's a war happening inside of you that wants you to live a life that pleases you. That, just because I stand on stage, don't think I don't fight that same war. We all have that war happening inside of us, and we need help. And so, in this text, verse 17, first of all, says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So the first thing I want to tell you about this text is, uh, it's possible for you to be a believer in Jesus and be foolish. Is that hard? Too hard? You guys okay? We can do counseling afterwards. If Paul tells us to not be foolish, that's because it's possible for you to be foolish. Any of us in this room right now could be living foolishly, still saved, still loved by God, still deeply, God's still deeply devoted to us, but we're making a mess of our lives because we're not concerned with loving God above all things. We are controlled by something other than God's Holy Spirit. We're being guided by our own wisdom, our own desires, because we think we're the best leaders of our lives. And if you're in that camp and you're a believer in Jesus and you think you're the best leader of your life and that you know what's best for you and yet you love Jesus too, right now you're living foolishly. That's okay. Jesus still loves you. He'll prove to you at some point in the future and it will not be comfortable. That's true, right? Somebody ever said that's true. If we um, want to understand what the Lord's will is, we want to live in a way that pleases Him. This text says that we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and engaged in Christian community. So look at verse 18 again real quick. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is this fancy word that means uselessness, which leads to being useless. And you guys, I don't have to prove to you if somebody's drunk, how useful are they? <laughs> like if somebody's drunk, would you have them like change your tire? Hey dude, hey, hey man, I know you're super drunk. Would you change my spirit? Would you change my tire out for me? Like you wouldn't even let them change your tire. Like they're drunk. They're useless. Okay? Some of you are going, I could change a tire drunk. I could do it. <laughs> okay, buddy. You can. That's fine. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, uselessness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul uses this example of alcohol here. This is not about not drinking alcohol. Although, listen, we can all admit that drinking alcohol can wreak destruction on people's lives if we abuse anything. This text is primarily about who we let have control of our lives. And he's using alcohol as an example to how we should give the Holy Spirit control in our, in our, of our lives. And, and so think about it this way. Have you ever noticed that when you're drinking, I'm just kidding, you guys are like, I don't drink. So if, <laughs> you're like, how does he know? So if you ever notice, like, if you know people who are, you know, if you've ever been anybody, around anybody who's drank, you know, if people like you're around sometimes, they're drinking way too much. Have you ever noticed that their inhibitions go down? Have you ever noticed that? Like they just kind of don't have the capacity to say no anymore. 
right? They drank too much. They're like, hey, man, you, you want to go see if we can get air in that golf cart? Dude, I've been wanting to do that a long time. Let's do it, right? And the next thing you know, they're flying a golf cart across the neighborhood or something. And um, it's because their willingness to say no goes down as our, in, as our uh, inebriation goes up. So inhibitions go down, being drunk goes up. So what Paul is using this analogy, he's saying, hey, instead of being controlled by alcohol that causes you to say yes uh, to dumb things, instead be controlled by the Holy Spirit that helps lower your inhibitions so that you can say yes to good and noble and holy things that please the Lord. So if you want to be a person who pleases God in your life, the key is to listen for and follow the Holy Spirit. And He's available to you if you're a follower in Jesus. He lives inside of you. He dwells inside of you. He's there. He's always talking to you. We just don't listen. And that's available to you. That's yours. It's, it's, it's there. It's a gift. You can live a life that pleases the Lord. You can live a life that pursues, a life that's children of the light. You can be that. And Paul says that your inhibitions can go down so you can say yes to God more as you listen for the Holy Spirit. But the other thing he says is to engage in Christian community. Verse 19 says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Speak and make music from your heart to the Lord. All this simply means is to be engaged with a body of believers. And so many of us in this room are really good at listening to sermons and coming to church, but we refuse to engage with other believers. And I'm telling you, man, being in a smaller community and not just sitting in a room with rows like this where you can be anonymous and nobody has to know you, if you get in a smaller community connected to other believers, they will call your butt out. They, they will get in your face when you do something stupid. And you want them to. And they will challenge you. Because it will be, you know what, it's easy to love people if you don't know people. Right? But if I'm in community with you, eventually you're going to do something that irritates me. And I'm going to do something that irritates you. And now we have a real test. Will all this stuff we say we believe about the Bible, like loving people, being kind to people and patient with people, will all that actually happen when you've done something that annoys me or hurts me? This is why Paul says, hey, if you want to know what pleases the Lord, you've got to be engaged in Christian community. So friends, it's very simple today. Love in the world's Viewpoint, the culture of our world, can mean whatever you want it to mean. It's fine. doesn't matter. There's no objective truth in your worldview, so it doesn't matter what you define it as. But if you're a believer, love is, I am loved first by God, and I love Him above all things. And He, because He loved me, has made me a child of the light and called me to live that way. And I want to do whatever it is I can to please Him. And He's offered me the help of His Holy Spirit and dwelled in me to live a life that pleases Him. And He's offered me the community of believers to help me live a life that pleases Him. This is all possible for you. You're sitting here today. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And it is possible for you to live a life that is pleasing to God. You can have that life. And actually, it's actually who you are. I'm going to pray, and then uh, as we're dismissed, if you want to talk with Chris, he'll be up here today. He would love to pray with you. James, will, he'll make his way up here as well. If you'd like to stick around, pray with one of them. Maybe, maybe you're stuck in one of these sins that Paul's talking about, and you don't know how to get out, and you need somebody just to pray with you about remembering who you are and your identity and knowing that God loves you. 
They would love to pray with you. They'd love to answer questions for you. They'd love to be there for you. So I'm going to pray. Then we'll be dismissed. And then if you'd like to come forward and see James or um, Chris as as everybody else is leaving, you can do that. All right? Let's stand together and let's pray. Lord, your kindness is uh, overwhelming. And today there was a fire hose of 20 verses. And I just pray that, that the right seed went in the right heart. Because every one of these people in this room, you know them by name. You know everything about them. You love them so much. Every individual standing here was um, is an object of your love and invited into being uh, lovers of you. And they don't have to get everything right to love you. You're totally patient with us as we're figuring it out. You give us time to to chase it down, to figure it out. So help us all in this room to love you more than we love ourselves, more than we love our own self-expression, our own happiness. Help us to love you above all things. And God, I pray that today if there's anyone who who needs to come and, and pray with Chris or James, that they'll have the courage to tell their friends, hey, give me a minute. I'm going to go see these guys up front. Just take advantage of that opportunity today to have someone pray over them. We love you. We thank you for Jesus and all he does for us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for being here today. Have a blessed week and a wonderful day.